Comic Monthly Monday number seven. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm a reasonable guy, but I've just experienced some very unreasonable things. Depends on how you look at it. The hell it does. So somebody, I don't care who, tell me what is going on. I find their illogic and foolish emotions a constant irritant. Intensifying out, freak! I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass, and I'm all out of bubblegum. Cheap, lying, no good, rotten, fourth-blessing, low-life, snake-licking, dirt-eating, inbred, overstuffed, ignorant, blood-sucking, dog-kissing, brainless, dickless, hopeless, heartless, fat-ass, bug-eyed, stiff-legged, spotty-legged, and now, together by live simulation via the internet, Scott Gardner and Chris Honeywell. All right, we're back with a jam-packed Comics Monthly Monday this month. Just stuffed to the rafters with uh, comic-y goodness, and uh, we'll be uh, talking some Walking Dead and some Swamp Thing, but first, Scott, you got a bunch of uh, bunch of uh, comics to, to report on, don't you? Yep, I sure do, and first we should probably introduce ourselves, just cause we, in, in case we get any you know, first-timers or new folks checking in on us. Hi, I'm Scott Gardner. I'm Chris Honeywell, and I guess and I'm rude are... to the first-timers, but... <laughs> Think of me as a crusty old drill sergeant who likes to throw you in on your on your feet. <laughs> Hit the ground running. Exactly. <laughs> so right off the bat, um, I want to tell everybody about some promo comics that you should get out there and get because they are pretty good and they are pretty cheap. Taco Bell is having um, a, a promotion right now. It's part of their kids' meal thing where you, know, you buy uh, one of their kids' meals and and you get a free Marvel comic. Well, the deal a lot of times with these restaurants and different places when they have these promos, you really don't have to do what whatever the promotion is. Like in this case, you don't have to buy a kid's meal. You can just go ask for the comics, and there's a, like a special button on their registers or whatever that just says like toy or something. And the comics, you know, it depends on like, the I guess the restaurant you go to or the or the you know the cashier that rings you up because I've bought in these bought these books twice I bought the four issues for myself and then I went back and bought them again for uh, my youngest boy when I bought them for myself I bought them at one restaurant and they charged me ninety nine cents for each of the comics so you know three ninety whatever you know and you get four you know brand new Marvel comics which was pretty cool or when I bought them again for my youngest son. They charged me ninety nine cents for all four, so you know I, I got them for you know for a buck. So and you got to save your digestive tract on top. Yeah, of there you go. Yeah, I didn't. I, I didn't uh, get the you know the the, the trot. Yeah, yeah. The, what is that word? The or what is that? The <laughs> gallop and trot. <laughs> yes. The, all I can think of is the turkey trot. <laughs> but the uh, so far as I can tell. 
this is all new material in these. I, I haven't actually read all four of them yet. I, I kind of thumbed through them just to check them out. But it looks like it's all new material, but it's a little deceptive because they reused covers for whatever reason. So the, the covers, on, and it's uh, there's a Thor, a Captain America, a Fantastic Four, and I can't remember who the other one is. Thor, Cap, Fantastic Four. Oh, and the Avengers. And uh, it looks like they're all original stories, but they just they reuse some covers. So you know, it's easy to look at the the promotional stuff that's out there for this and go, "Oh, I've got those." Well, you, you may not, because it, it does look like this is brand new stuff. Anyway, you know, check it out. You can get them without you know having to uh, actually buy the Taco Bell food. You know, just take a run through the drive-through, or whatever. Anyway, I just thought I'd pass that on to everybody. Um, to you know, when was the last time you got a brand new Marvel comic for you know ninety nine cents? So um, the next one I've got, and I'm not going to go into any in depth review of this or anything other than to just say it was freaking awesome. Which was uh, Final Crisis Legion of Three Worlds number five. This is the way to write a crisis event. This is everything Final Crisis should have been and utterly failed to be. It was worth the wait. This thing is like several months late now. I mean, it's only a five-issue mini. It should have been wrapped up a long, long time ago. But, man, it is totally proving to be well, well, well worth the wait. It was really fantastic. I really enjoyed it. And it, it just it totally feels like a sequel slash continuation of the original Crisis on Infinite Earth. So it's really cool. And at some point, somewhere down the line, um, we'll do uh, like an in-depth, you know, episode really uh, analyzing, um, you know, this series and maybe uh, maybe even touch on some of the other uh, Crisis series, you know, the original Crisis, the Infinite Crisis, maybe even some of the other ones that tied in. But the... Uh, the best thing about this was just it had some really stunning reveals in it. You know, there's a, a return of a major character and then a longtime um, mystery character, you know, an, an, an enemy of the Legion called the Time Trapper. His identity is finally revealed after all these years, and it was quite the shocker as far as he turned out to be. And uh, on that note, I'd just like to give a big thanks to the fucking dumbass who spoiled that on the main Comic Geek Speak forums. You know, when you post a, a, a thread up there for the first time, anybody who subscribes via email to those main forums like that, it, it shows up in your inbox in your mail, or at least it does for me. You know, I have mail through Yahoo. So when you click on the thing, you know, and it just, you know, it shows up and it says something like, you know, new topic, you know, posted on the form or whatever it says. And you click on it, it's going to give you, you know, the, the poster and the thread name, but it will also give you the body of whatever the post is. So if you don't post something that's right in the title that says spoilers or whatever, and you open that email, whatever's in that body is going to show up. And it'll be spoiled to the person that's seeing it. And I imagine it's the same way if you don't put a spoiler alert in the thread. Anybody who clicks on the thread, it's going to instantly be spoiled for them as well. So I'm, you know, when you post something like that, that's a, you know, a big reveal, a big spoil of something that happens in a movie or a comic or whatever, 
put the damn spoiler alert in there and let somebody know that, you know, if you want this to be enjoyable and, and not be spoiled for you, that you might not want to click on this. Because it, it's this is like the umpteenth time this has happened lately. I forget what the other big one was. There was another big uh, thing recently that got spoiled for me the same. Oh, it was uh, when uh, there was a death of a major character on one of my favorite shows, uh, Terminator, the Sarah Connor Chronicles. Um you know, there was a, a character on there that got, you know, kind of unceremoniously killed Offed. off. Yeah. But I knew it was coming. I, I knew it was coming because some idiot had posted it on the forum with no spoiler tag at all. So, you know, I'm I'm tired of that. I enjoy the forums and everything, but I, I'm going to start avoiding them if people are going to keep posting like that. It's just really ridiculous. Um. The next thing in my stack here, have you got anything that you wanted to go over? Or I have, I, I, I actually have one new comic that I've read that uh, very quickly I could just recommend. Take it and away. It's uh, Ghost Rider number 34, where Johnny Moore is taking over. And it's got one of my favorite artists, uh, I think his name's Arthur Sudiam. Sudiam? Sudiam? Sudiam. I think I know who you mean. Yeah, he used to do a, a series in like epic comics called Charlie and Flytrap that was great, bloody, violent, and he did the cover. So the cover is this beautiful painted cover. But um, yeah, I love the I love the art, the story, and it's great. It's you know this um, some sort of demon truck driver that you know eats eats people, takes off their heads, fighting the <laughs> Ghost Rider. You know, a simple story. Just a you know road road battle story. It's great supernatural road battle story, and uh, the Ghost Rider looks like Rick from The Walking Dead now. <laughs> Go figure. But it's great. I I, I really like it. Um, it was interesting. I've never seen Tony Moore's art in color, and it's pretty good in color. I still prefer it in black and white, but I might start picking up Ghost Rider now. I tell you what, you need to check out as well. That has uh, both awesome Tony Moore art, but incredible writing too. Is that uh, Exterminator series? Oh, that's what I've heard. Yeah, because I just got the first trade, and I'd read the first two issues. I have the first two issues. I picked up for like fifty cents somewhere. Uh-huh. But you know, I've been trying to get the whole series as like a lot off of eBay, and I get stomped on it every single time. But I did a trade recently on the trading section of the forum and uh, and got the first trade as a trade. Oh. And wow, it was fantastic. It's man, it's, it's awesome stuff. And I think that was the first time I saw Tony Moore in color and it's really really beautiful. Nice. Yeah, it was it was nice stuff. Um but that's about it for me. Okay. Well, this one here is uh, just a recommended read. This is going back a couple years to 2000, November, rather, of 2001. Um, this is a, a series simply called Fury. It's uh, The Indicia actually calls it Fury Volume 3, but uh, it, it's a solo Nick Fury miniseries, six issues long. This is done under the Max Comics imprint. You know, this is the the adult-only Marvel imprint. You know, if you've ever read uh, any of, like, the Punisher Max stuff, this is done very much in the same vein as that. You know, it's gritty, super violent, and all that. Written by uh, by Garth Ennis, who also did the uh, Punisher Max stuff. Art by uh, Derek Robertson and inks by Jimmy Palmiotti. 
I can only sum this up as excellent, excellent. This was an incredible read. It, uh, the basic story in it is Nick Fury as an anachronism, as the fact that he, he's an old, crusty, Cold War soldier who suddenly looks around one day and, and realizes that, you know, he, he doesn't even know his place in the, in the world that he's in today. And, uh, you know, if you enjoyed the Punisher Max stuff by Garth Ennis, um, also I would say, you know, if you consider yourself, uh, uh, for lack of a better term, a true patriot, you know, particularly if you're a veteran, you know, if you're uh, of, I guess, of a conservative lean, uh, that sort of thing, you know, if you're the type of person like me who looks around at the absolutely sorry state of America today and ask yourself, you know, what the fuck happened to the country that I loved and served? This book is for you. It's fucking great. It doesn't pull any punches. It's overblown, super over-the-top violence. But I liked the message behind it. The message of, you know, that a lot of people that are running the show in America today are a bunch of fucking bleeding heart liberal pansy asses and you need people like Fury to step forward and, and cut through the bullshit and get the job done. It gets my highest recommendation. I think it's a fucking fantastic read and you gotta check it out. I got it for I think like three bucks on eBay. So I mean you can find it cheap, dig it up and read it. It was really, really good. Uh, moving right along, got a uh, this is a book I won in a contest on the Teenage Wasteland podcast. That's uh, Alec Berry's show. Fantastic show. And before anybody says, you know, conflict of interest or anything, because, you know, I, I, I work with him on the uh, Back to the Bins podcast, this was way before any of that. You know, I was simply just a listener to his show, and his contest was simply you had to go in and leave an iTunes review for his show. I mean, nothing hard about it, nothing special. I went in and did that. And sadly, I was one of just a handful of people that bothered to participate. And so, you know, when he had his drawing, I just happened to come up. So I got lucky. Um, anyway, this is Superhuman Resources, number one, written by just, uh, excuse me, illustrated rather by Justin Bleep um, with story by Ken Marcus. It was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. It was very strange. It was basically the Human Resources Department for superheroes. And basically, you know, what what goes on there? You know, a new a new worker, an intern or something, comes in for like his first day on the job, and he's just like overwhelmed and kind of shell shocked by so is it everything. Like that, Dilbert meets DC Comics or something like that. Almost, it, almost, yeah. Well, it, it's it, it's an independent book, uh-huh. so everybody's like an archetype. You know, there's right. there's no recognizable Superman or Spider-Man or anything, right. but, you know, they're, they're all archetypes. Right. it's that like are Ultra, Ultra, Ultraman or something like right. that, right? Yeah. Or, yeah. Now, my one of my first notes after I read this was, wow, that was really short. But I went through and I, I counted the pages, and, you know, it's the same standard size as, as a regular comic. I guess it's just a quick read. And, you know, it's it's always a good read when it leaves you wanting more. And it did. It, it left me going, well, why, you know, now I want to know what happens. So, you know, that was good. Um, indies, 
Hey, here's a question for the listening audience. Do indies seem shorter somehow when all the ads are at the very end of the book? Because a lot of indies are like that. You know, Dark Horse and different ones don't have, you know, ads on, you know, opposite pages or anything like that. You know, they save all the advertisements until the very end. So does that make them seem deceptively, you know, like 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 they're shorter than, a you know, like a standard like Marvel or DC because it really did. It, I flipped through it and I thought, wow, you know, I don't know that I would have paid full price for this because, wow, it was really short. But then I went through back through and counted the pages. And it's the same length as a Marvel or DC. It was so, just better. So it, it yeah. just, you, went, you <laughs> spun through it faster. Yeah, I, I did rip right through it. It was really good. The, my favorite character, the... Uh, their receptionist when you walk into the building is Zombor. He's a zombie. Awesome. <laughs> it's just, it's he's hilarious. Well, he's just the, the name Zombor, I know that's gonna that's gonna strike you as funny. <laughs> you know. Yep. yep anything absolutely. anything with the letter Z O M in uh yep, anything in that with order. <laughs> so, um, the only negative I could say against it was, you know, I got this for free. If you know, if I had seen this somewhere. Or whatever, you know, the cover price on this is three fifty. That's a chunk. I, I don't I have to be honest, I don't know that I would have paid for it. And as much as I want to read the rest of the series, you know, it's a four issue mini, uh, I I can't see paying three fifty for it, but you know, I will definitely be on the lookout for the subsequent issues, you know, on the cheap. If I can, you know, get them, you know, a good deal on them, you know, through back issues or what. I, I'd definitely like to read more. It was a lot of fun. I like the art style. It was very different. I don't know. I don't even know how to describe it. It's different than anything I've ever seen. A really strange, cartoony, I, I, I don't even have words for it, but it was a lot of fun. I mean, if you see it around, check it out. It was a good read, and and thanks again to Alec to uh, you know for sending it to me because I really got a kick out of it. Um, also, this is a story I, I really wanted to pass along because it really meant a lot to me. I missed Free Comic Book Day as you know as we record this. The Free Comic Book Day, which was I believe May second, went by a few days ago, and I was really looking forward to it. I had really planned to go. I've never been to a Free Comic Book Day because, as I've said many times, we don't have a, a comic shop in this town, and you know the nearest ones to me that I thought participated in this are in Atlanta, which is a hike for me from where I live. But I found out recently that, you know, the next town over has a couple places that actually were going to participate. You know, one was a bookstore and one's a new comic shop that just opened up. So I was really planning to go and then some shit came up. My my dog got sick and um, just different things were going on and I had the boys for the day and everything like that. So I just decided, you know, I, I really can't justify going to this thing. I really have to stay, you know, around the house. And I was really bummed out about it. But, you know, I tried to talk myself, and, well, it didn't really mean that much to me, and blah, blah, blah. But I was really pretty bummed about it. Well, that following Monday, I get a package delivered to the house. And uh, I knew it was coming because I got an email from uh, Heroes Corner. And I just recently made the switch from dcbservice.com, you know, for my online comics to this new Heroes Corner. But I had never gotten a shipment from them. Well, my DCBS order just came a couple of days ago. So when I got the email that uh, that Heroes Corner was sending me something, I was kind of like, well, what, what could they be sending me? You know, I mean, I, I just signed up with them. It's not time for new books yet. Anyway, this package arrives, 
and it had my free copy of previews in it, the Buck Rogers number, whatever it was, either zero or one that I paid, I mean, super cheap for. It's like a quarter or something like that that I, I bought just on a whim because it was dirt cheap. That was all that was in there as far as like stuff I knew I was getting. Everything else in that package, total freebies. It was all these free comic book day books. And it was, except for the Savage Dragon, they were all the books that I had tr- planned to try to pick up if I had actually been able to make it. I got the Star Wars, the Clone Wars, um, which I'll probably be, re- be reviewing on our next Star Wars Monthly Monday. Um, a book called Atomic Robo, which I'd, I'd heard of, but I'd never read it. It was really cool, and I want to read more of this now uh, that I read this uh, special uh, edition of it. The Green Lantern, Blackest Night Zero, the Transformers G.I. Joe, and something called Shonen Jump, which looks like a manga title, so I don't know. I'll get around to that one eventually, maybe. Um, anyway, I just want to give a big thanks to the guys at, uh, at Heroes Corner. Uh, I know that they're going to listen to this. And, uh, guys, I really, really, really appreciated it. That was so nice of you. Um, totally unexpected and, and really made my day and really made me feel better about having missed uh, the event here locally so thank you very much for that that was so nice and uh you guys have definitely won me over just with that gesture before actually even getting any of my regular books so i thought that was pretty awesome they're all gonna come crumpled in a wad (laughs) (laughs) no 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 they were it was nice nicely packaged and and everybody i just thought i mean how awesome is that yeah you know I mean, you know, that, that's somebody had to pay for that. You know, I mean, they they had to mail the package, and I don't think free comic book day books are free to the to the distrib you know to the shops, you know, to the online distributors or the right. or the comic shops. I don't think they're free to them. They're free to to you and me, but I think those shops actually pay something for them. I could be wrong. Maybe somebody will set me straight on that. But I mean, anyway. You know, just simply postage. I mean, they they paid for that, right? To send me a bunch of free books. I think that's awesome. I mean, you know, I worked customer service a lot of years, so I'm sensitive to the fact that in today's modern America, customer service blows. It, well, it's a thing of the past, really. It is a thing of the, of the past. past. It really yeah. is. You know, when you've got automated checkout lines at the supermarket right. and at Walmart, customer service has become a dinosaur. You know, and it's like a theory only, you know. Right. So for something like this, you know, to show up at my door totally unsolicited just to say, you know, thanks for ordering with us or, or what, whatever the gesture was. You oh, know, thanks it sounds being- like, yeah, it's free comic book day. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I, and so, I mean, I don't mean to gush about it, but I mean, it really made my day. It was just totally cool. And I really, really appreciate it. So uh, Heroes Corner, thank you very much. You know what? And- I What's just that? realized we're going into Bizarro World. Why is that? I you're just so positive this this episode. <laughs> I think I think I'm gonna have to be the one who gripes and groans. I'll I'll look for my spots to gripe and groan. But oh, wait, wait till we get we'll, into some. We'll, 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 we'll see. Um, speaking of uh, of Green Lantern, sort of. I, I mentioned him a second ago. Um, actually, here's here's your negative right here, Chris. Um. Uh-oh. I read something recently that disturbed me a lot, and I don't mean to get down on this person, but I just thought that this was really uh, – here, I'll lay it out for you. In um, back issue number 32, this was, I believe, the next to most recent issue. This was – I think it was the one 
with the Spider-Mobile on the cover, I think. I forget what the theme... You know, there, every issue is themed to a particular thing, so I forget what the theme was with that one. But anyway, I think that was the issue it was. I could be wrong. Anyway, it was number 32. It was, an, it was a comment... It was basically a text piece of an interview, a comics panel between um, classic comic, comics artist Joe Staten and the current uh, artist on Green Lantern, Ethan Van Sciver. And they were, you know, just talking about Green Lantern. And in that article, I I don't know how else to put it other than I just thought it was super unprofessional. Van Sciver disses Ron Mars over and over and over again. And Ron Mars was the writer that wrote the uh, the story in which Hal Jordan basically went nuts. You know, Coast City got nuked, and he lost everything that was important to him in his life, and it was a turning point for that character. And basically, he wanted to try to set things right, so he, he went about trying to gather up all of the green energy, you know, all the rings and all the power of the guardians and everything to try to basically set the universe right. And this story has a a, a soft spot for me because this was basically, even though I was familiar with the character and familiar with the concept of green lantern, you know, I had a, a, a pretty sizable run of it. I, I was never really a fan of green lantern. He was just, he was there, you know, he was just a, a comics character I, I was aware of and whatever. But I, I wouldn't call myself a fan. Mars's run on Green Lantern made me a fan of Green Lantern because I loved what he did with Hal Jordan. I always thought Hal Jordan was kind of an arrogant asshole. So the fact that he basically became the Darth Vader of the DC Universe seemed like a very natural progression to me. That he basically fell to the dark side and became... A bad guy. I, I think that's awesome. I think that they, it really lent a lot to that character, to the Green Lantern, the overall core mythos. And I thought that the new Green Lantern, um, Kyle Rayner, was a, a great new character. I liked him. He was an everyman type of character. So anyway, to see Mars's run just kind of dissed and dismissed the way it was in print like this, I take exception to that. It wasn't shit, and I'm tired of it being portrayed that way. I'm tired of people looking back on that era and just dismissing it as, oh, that was just 90s crap, and it's just as well that it's you know swept away. Well, you know, I, I'm enjoying what's going on with Green Lantern right now. I'm not crazy that Hal Jordan's back, but I, I am enjoying the stories. Uh, you know, both books are really good and all that. But, you know, I I don't like seeing that come at the expense of, you know, people just want to outright, you know, dismiss what went on in the Mars stuff. You know, for a lot of us out there, and I know I'm not alone in this, you know, for a lot of us, it was the Mars stuff that brought us into Green Lantern, you know, that, that gave us any interest in it at all. So... Um, lastly, I just want to, on the off chance that, you know, he listens to us or someone out there that listens to us knows him or knows how to get in contact with him or whatever, I want to throw an open invitation to Ron Mars to come on our show 
and talk some comics sometime. Whether it's Green Lantern or not, I don't care. I just I think he's an awesome writer beyond even his You're gonna get Green him to Lantern talk some stuff. shit about the other guy. No, no, not at all. Nothing ah. like that. <laughs> but, you know, I would I would like to have, give him the opportunity to talk about you know Green Lantern if he wants to talk about Green Lantern or just anything. But I think he's a damn good writer, and I just didn't like seeing him basically run down like this. You know that. That Green Lantern stuff he wrote got me interested. You know, it got me into the character, and I just didn't appreciate the way it was it was portrayed in this article as if you know, oh, it's just as well it's all been swept away, and that you know that's not right. That that's just you know, like I say, for lack of a better term, that's very unprofessional. So anyway, that's my my soapbox moment for that. Uh, moving right along. Uh, I wanted to draw everybody's attention to something that just came out recently that, uh, you know, if you get lucky, you can still get on board with this, and I think it is well worth uh, your attention. There's a record label out there um, called La La Land Music that, as far as I know, is fairly new, just kind of sprung up, or at least new as far as uh, movie scores and soundtracks. And they've got some really nice stuff. Well, something that just got released that uh, I, you know, fans of our show may be interested in is the complete score to Batman: Mask of the Phantasm, which you know is my favorite Batman movie. It's you know it is an animated movie, but it's an incredible movie. Great score by uh, by Shirley Walker, and you know this has been available. If you knew where to look for it on the internet for quite a while as a bootleg in what was called the complete version, but now listening to this new release from La La Land, it's you know it's clear to me that the other one was not a complete version. That this one truly is you know all the music that was in it. Plus, you know you can't beat the sound quality. I mean, this is you know, right from the masters and everything, so it's beautiful surround sound, really, really awesome, very rich scoring, you know, a full orchestra, which you know Shirley Walker hadn't always gotten to work with a full orchestra, and she does in this one, and it sounds really good. And uh, you know, best of all to me was uh, they threw in a track that I totally didn't expect them to throw in. You know, in the movie, there's a sequence where. Uh, Bruce Wayne and his girlfriend go to what's basically like a like a New York World's Fair type of thing in Gotham, and that's where he gets the idea for the Batmobile and all this stuff. And then later on in the movie, in you know that's all told in flashback. Well, later on in the movie, in modern times, the park is all dilapidated and run down, and the Joker's using it for a hideout. Well, in both of those sequences, there's a song that's played. that's very much a take on there's a great big beautiful tomorrow from the carousel of progress in the disney theme parks there's a great big beautiful tomorrow shining at the end of every day there's a great big beautiful tomorrow and tomorrow's just a dream away 
So that's one of my favorite pieces of music. So this alternate take on it for the Batman film, I, I like that too. I, you know, just by default, they throw it onto this. At, you know, it's like the last track on there, kind of like a bonus track on the album. That totally made it worth it for me. So, you know, if you if you get lucky, there's still copies of this available. You know, La La Land releases these things in limited runs. And the one that they just did for Batman, the animated series, which was a two-disc, I'm pretty sure that run is sold out now. It was limited to like 3,000, but I believe there are still copies available of this uh, Mask of the Phantasm one. So if you jump on it, you know, you might still be able to grab one. And that's pretty much it for that. And finally, speaking of comic book movies, we come to our first impression review of Wolverine, or what was it, X-Men Origins Wolverine. And I'll let you go first, Chris. What did you think of uh, X-Men Origins Wolverine? Let's just say I, I saw Wolverine in the theater, and just and uh, after, be, after having downloaded the... Um the work print quite a while ago, you know, as soon as I found out that, that was out, I... the hell? Oh, yeah, after being called a thief and all kinds of fun stuff on the forum for doing that, that's fine. I'll, I'll, I'll wear that label. But, um, uh, just, just to say, I, I saw the work print and I paid to see the movie and I didn't do it out of principle. I did it out of curiosity. But I'll say this. I didn't really like the work print and, and, uh, I still went and paid to see the movie. Not full price. I went to a matinee, but still, um, I really like. I don't know. Like a quick summation of the work print was: it seemed like the finished movie with just a bunch of key special effect shots weren't finished that were probably being done by some other, you know, a special effects house somewhere. So it was just sort of the hack together. And we'll put in a little wire frame so you know what's going on there. But you could see people's wires when they're jumping and stuff. And I saw it, so I got a pretty good idea of what the movie was like. And I thought it was... I didn't think it was terrible. I just thought it was kind of mediocre. Kind of half-assed. But I, I then I heard, well, after this leak got out, you know, all the controversy about it, they were going to... There was 15 minutes of footage that they hadn't put into it yet. And they were... And since the leak was so crappy they were reshooting 15 minutes of it and they're reshooting all these key scenes and fixing all the special effects so i had to see it to see what they did to it you know out of pure film student ex film student curiosity you know i wanted to see the process you know seeing it in the unfinished process and seeing the finished process and seeing what they actually reshot and really i don't think they really reshot or changed a uh, you know, when I saw the movie, it was basically that I saw the same movie, only it had finished special effects, and that was about it. I didn't, I, I don't, you know, maybe I'll have to watch them both again, side by side or something. But I really didn't see much of a difference, and I didn't even get the uh, cool new um, add-on that they they put to, on the end of the movie with uh, Deadpool, you know, Deadpool's head coming back to life. Oh, spoiler alert! But um, yeah, I, I just eh, it was it was one of those movies where it was, it, I guess it kept me entertained all the way through, but there was nothing. It just had no spark of life, you know. After, I I think if, you know, if you're doing super high level 
comic movies, you know, you sort of have your super, you know, your Superman one and two, and even though you know, I'm not as, I don't think you're as a fan of it either. But the Spider-Man movies are sort of your A-level bar that you can set, and then like, and I don't even want to say B-level bar because they were great movies, but like the the less bigger budget, huge production ones, I think the bar was sort of set with the Hulk and uh, Iron Man. Right. And I think that's what Wolverine was shooting for that level of, you know, nothing you know, nothing to, you know, shatter the world, but, you know, a good, fun, entertaining movie. And it was fairly fun and entertaining, but I just, it didn't have much heart to me. It didn't have much personality. And, like, the... You know, the Hulk and, and Iron Man were just loaded with personality. So, and and I know Hugh Jackman's a good actor. So, I I tend to blame it all on the writing. I thought the 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 writing was very pedestrian, and I think that's just my key word for this movie is it was it was pedestrian. You know, it could have been. You know, they could have they could have kept it as a light PG thirteen and and revved up the um revved up just the style of it some more and maybe made it a little punchier or they could have delved into heart and uh, heart of darkness r rated territory but they just didn't seem to go either way and eh, eh, it's one of those movies where you know if i would have seen it initially in the theater i would have walked out going yeah that was pretty good and and i would have promptly forgot about it you know it's not one that's gonna like I don't think stand up to the test of time, and it's kind of weird to do uh, origin story after there's been three movies, you know, that basically they don't really center around Wolverine, but he had a big part in pretty much all the all the X Men movies. He did, but I think I my my guess on that is that somebody finally got wise and realized that. You know, most of the people that like the X Men like him, right? You know, and and the yeah, and the other ones just kind of, you know, they're they're supporting characters in his world, but really, you know, a lot of people. Now, I I say this as kind of a an insider outsider because I'm not a a, a, an X Men fan, and the the comic book version of Wolverine I can barely tolerate. It's really, I'd have to say. You know, it was the first X-Men movie that made me even be able to tolerate the X-Men because up until that point, I've always, I I grew up being an X-Men hater. I always resented the fact that, you know, when, when you and I were coming up and collecting comics and reading comics, X-Men was the thing that was held up as, like, the gold standard of comics. Right. And I never saw it. I, I, I never saw it. I used to look at, at X-Men and just think... You know, this this is just by the numbers comics. You know, I, I really didn't find anything of merit to it. But then I saw the first movie, and you know, here here's my hypocritical moment for for this show. But normally, when they take the concept of a comic and then throw the backstory and throw all the comics out the window and do their own thing, that shit pisses me right. off. But I think with the X-Men, that's the very best thing that they could have done, right. at least with the first two movies, was to take the the concept, which is pretty cool. You know, this this you know, mutant professor 
recruits a bunch of mutants to teach them their powers and secretly defend the world from evil mutants. That's a pretty cool core concept. The problem has been all these years of execution. I just think it's been it's gotten really fucking silly over the years. Well, it's you know? because it became such a money maker that they had exactly. to just rake it over the coals. Exactly. I was, you know, I was a fan just in the burn post burn era and the new mutants sort of first starting out in the graphic novel right. era and then they really shot up and all of a sudden there's 8 million mutant titles 10 million new characters and that's when I that's when I was like ah, I don't care anymore you know to me I, I think the X-Men one of the things that always put me off was they always seemed every time I would pick it up to try to get into it and, and try to find the merit in it and and actually kind of got sucked in a couple of times within a few issues they'd always end up running off to the fucking Shi'ar Empire and Lalandra and the fucking Star Jammers and all I yeah, by hate that, that time that it shit. was already by that time I was yeah I was already done with it but that's when yeah, they were hitting their huge yeah thing I've I think I think you see that. I think the Wolverine thing I think it also um it's uh, I'll tell you when I was at the movie there were a lot of girls there. It was kind of a chick flick. And oh, yeah. I know a lot of girls that are just like going to go see it because they want to see Hugh Jackman writhing around with his shirt off killing people. <laughs> it's true. I know, you know, I know I know some girls who are like, I've got a picture of my friend Kate Smith and she's got her little Wolverine action figure, you know, cuddled up to her face. And she's the last person you would, you know expect to be reading comic book about Wolverine. Oh, Wolverine. So I think this movie, you know, and it had it had a um he's a macho man. And it had a and it had a prominently featured love story in it, you know. And uh so, you know, but I don't know. I thought the movie seemed to just like hit all you know, somebody went through with a checklist of like, we got to do this, we got to do this, we got to have the cut scene at the at the end after the credits, you know, and uh, you know we have to have the this scene and this scene, and we have to introduce, you know, we have to tick off these mutants that everybody, these are the mutants that everybody wants to see on screen do their thing, so we'll tick it off, tick 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 tick, here they are, and yeah, I don't even know who 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 most of those guys are, you know, like the Cajun guy and the girl who turns to. To ice diamonds or whatever, you know, Emma Fro- Emma Frost is it? You know, uh-huh. I, they they just seem to be thrown in there so everybody can go. Ah, oh, there's my favorite. Oh, he does. It's the guy who right, cards. Yes. I, I want. I don't mean to interrupt you, but I've got to address that because that is one of the complaints I I watched. Um, it's not called at the movies anymore. Whatever the name of the show is, yeah. it used to be. You know, uh, it's like Ebert and uh, Roper. Ebert yeah, it used to somebody. be that, but it doesn't even have uh, Ebert on it anymore. It's it's uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's two assholes I'd never seen before. But I recorded That's it because they were working title. Yeah, <laughs> they uh, they were reviewing the new Star Trek, and I wanted to see what they thought of it. But uh, Wolverine was in there too, so I watched that this morning while I was eating breakfast and. Uh, they were talking about Wolverine. They don't do the thumbs up and thumbs down on there. They do skip it or watch it or skip it or see it or something like that. Uh-huh. They both said skip it. One of their complaints was what you just said, that it felt like they basically, somebody went down a list of mutants and said, yeah. oh, yeah, we need to throw him in. We need to throw All right, now look. That was, you know, 
That was the same complaint that so many, I don't know about regular movie watchers, but so many fanboys had against the other three movies. Every time one of those movies would come out, somebody would go, well, where's Colossus? Where's so-and-so? Where's this one? Where's that one? So then they finally do a movie that goes down the list and basically picks out the favorites we still haven't seen, like Gambit. From the very first movie, everybody said, where's Gambit? Where's Gambit? All three movies, they've said, where's Gambit? We want to see Gambit. They throw Gambit in. What's one of the big complaints? What the hell is Gambit doing in this movie? Well, goddamn, these people can't win, you know? I'm not not a fanboy, and you see, that's what I'm saying, but it was, I'll tell you what. The ticking down equation was a successful equation because this movie made eighty million in its first oh, yeah. first week. So fuck you to all the people who were <laughs> talking talking shit about the uh, the download ruining this movie and how right. you know all that that happy bullshit because it's obviously not true. This movie's already made more than The Watchmen did in its first week. Yep. So you know and. And, well, uh, I haven't, you know, fanboys. I mean, the last Star Trek movie I saw, the the next last the last next generation movie that they put out, I was so pissed off because everybody was in that movie theater. All the fanboys were in that movie theater because there was a room in the Enterprise that you never saw before, and they all like were waiting and waiting and waiting. And then when you got to see that room, they were all just like this hushed anticipation and then then after the scene cuts out of the room, they're all like... And meanwhile, the movie was kind of shit. But everybody was there to see, you know, oh, it's got a different room in the... That's that's what fanboys drive me nuts. They can ru- <laughs> they can ruin shit because they, it's like it's like they're it's like they ha- they're it's like they're fetish people. You know, you have to you, you have to wear the right kinds of you know you have to dress up like the um, like the um, um, Maytag repairman in order for them to like get get horny at all. You know, it has to be the perfect Maytag repairman outfit or what you know or. I can, or you have to be slathered in peanut butter and dressed like you know Bella Lugosi and what the hell are you talking monster. about? I'm just talking about how like fanboys sometimes don't seem interested in the things that make their favorite things what they are, and they're more interested in the baubles and beads that you know hang around it. You know, like <laughs> seeing Gambit in the movie. I have to, you know, I, Gambit's my favorite. Where is Gambit? You know, and so right now, they throw, right now, they tread throw carefully him in the movie. Tread carefully because we haven't done our Star Trek review yet. <laughs> you and, might be, and the, you might be talking uh, about that exact kind of fanboy in me because I tend to be that way too. But no, I see what you're saying. You're, they're more concerned about. The, the, the little things than seeing the overall well, picture see, of if they, it's a they, good yeah, movie or not. Yeah, yeah, you throw Ga- they're happy if you throw Gambit in there and, and you know, Wolverine says the right catchphrase at the right time. Meanwhile, you know, it's it's also basically sending the message to the filmmakers of, oh, don't waste your time on a quality writer or anything like that, or don't worry about making this an actual compelling story. Right. And that's the stupid thing is, is okay, this is going to make money, but Wolverine is not going to be a movie 30 d- years down the line that anybody's going to really care about, you know? It's going it, to... It, it's it's just not, you know? And... I don't know. I think you're way too harsh on it. Because I, I don't... I mean, for one thing, I haven't, I haven't given my take on it yet, which is right. I really enjoyed it. I, I liked uh-huh. it a lot. 
Now, is it high art? Is it a fantastic movie that's going to stand up for 30? I don't know. All I, I know I is really I didn't you know, need it to be that. You know, I, it was a good popcorn movie. I went there to see Wolverine claw shit and blow stuff up. I saw that. I didn't feel like I wasted my money. Were there problems with it? Yeah, there were a few problems with it. But you know, my my biggest thing, my problems with it weren't fanboy problems. I am sick of this thing that everybody's bitching about Deadpool. Let me let you all in on a little bit of secret. Deadpool sucks. Who gives a rat's ass about Deadpool? Anyway? <laughs> I mean, obviously a lot of people. Well, obviously they do. But you know, he's a he's a minor character. You know, and I thought the scene with Deadpool with the swords, you know, before he got all weirdified and, you know, right. ball-headed and all that, that was awesome. It was really, really cool. He was the wise-cracking guy and all that. But, you know, the rest of it at the end where they had him all junked up with weird powers and he was shooting Cyclops beams and all that. Yeah. Yeah, it should have probably been another character, but does it, is it a big deal? I really, I just don't think so because I just don't see where he's this, you know, this major iconic comic book character. I mean, up until the X Men uh, Legends video games, I never even fucking heard of this guy. You know, yeah, that's he was, you though. That, that's you. There's a lot of people who seem to like have put a lot of, you know, that they were. Well, you know, I mean, and also since the movie's named Wolverine, you know, you can't really put too much. Uh, hope in it being Deadpool, you know, and, uh, you know, what? if you're a big Deadpool fan, all you'd have to hope, maybe what they were hoping was that Deadpool would actually be really cool for a long time, so enough people would maybe warrant a Deadpool movie or something, which didn't happen, I mean, he was cool for just a few minutes, and I agree, when he was a human, he, that was the character, as I understand it, you know, mm-hmm. he, was a, he, was a, he was a pain in the ass loudmouth, arrogant, you know, joker. Right. And, uh, and he put, and, you know, and I didn't know anything about that, you know, so I didn't know that character was going to become Deadpool or was Deadpool when I was watching that in the movie. But, you know, upon reading what Deadpool was really like, I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. But, um, you know, I think people are maybe hope, hold, holding out for a Deadpool movie, but, you know, I don't know if they'll be very happy if the Deadpool in their Deadpool movie is that Gollum guy with his mouth sewn shut. You know? <laughs> I don't think they were too happy about that. So whatever, you know, tough titty. But just as as a movie, you know, I just remember seeing Iron Man and the Hulk. I, I walked out of them jazzed. Jazzed. Going, wow, you know, that was Iron... And I'm not a big Iron Man fan, but the Hulk, I, I've always liked the Hulk. And so I guess it was a little harder sell to get me to like the Hulk, but I really, you know, I I, I walked away from it going, God damn, that was the Hulk, you know, Hulk smashed, and uh, and this I guess was Wolverine. It had the angst and stuff, the you know, enough of it, but it was just there was no personality to it. There was no. Uh, I, I I disagree, uh, man. I like. I'd put it out there. I like this movie a hell of a lot more than I liked Iron Man, and I liked Iron Man. But the problem with Iron Man, I don't think it's an extremely rewatchable movie. I think it's a movie that you you sit through, you watch it, you enjoy it. Well, but when I've tried to sit and rewatch it with my kids now that we have it on DVD, I find it very boring. It's like once you've seen it, you got all the origin story. Watching it on subsequent rewatches. 
it's just it's really talky. Yeah. It doesn't have a whole lot of action. It's really just the origin story. Whereas this, yes, it's an origin story, but I can see myself watching this at, at least a couple more times because at least it has a, a lot of action. It's got a lot of action, and I thought the story was good. You know, up until a point. You know, and I don't know how much we want to spoil, but. You know, one of the reveals toward the end of the movie of exactly how they've been manipulating and using Wolverine, I was pretty let down yeah. that. That yeah. did bother me. I thought that that really, that took away a lot of the story. So watching it the second time around and knowing the faster well, that they're going to it took all the piss out of it. Yeah, yeah. It, de- it definitely it, it, did. And it took all the, it took all, and it, and, and then... It changed. It changed the dynamic between. Uh, yeah, I, without. Spo- well, okay, maybe I'll just say spoiler alert. Stick your fingers in your ear, but you know, the the only woman in this movie besides what Emma Frost or whatever is yeah. is Wolverine's girlfriend, and of course she's killed in the typical only woman in a comic book fashion movie to further his um his you know. Um, angst and his motivation right so you know and then at the end when you find out oh really oh oh that's right i'm not dead we we faked this whole we we faked the whole thing to manipulate you into this position and then all of a sudden you know that makes her part of the enemy but then she's like oh well you know i i actually do love you and he's like oh okay well i forgive you boom then she's dead again it's just (laughs) you know so contrived and so you know so convenient it all works out so conveniently sort of in the context of where they need wolverine to be at the end of the movie that it's i just think a bet i think it could have been better written and that's gonna be that's one of my big complaints with almost any movie at base level is base level you have to have a good script with a good script you're but you know at the same rate god i I can't believe i'm gonna say this and i hope this comes off the right way but part of the problem i think sometimes is comic book movies are a tricky beast because you've got to have a fine line between yeah comic book i don't know how else to put this other than you don't want to be you you want to don't want to be too dumb and you don't want to be too smart exactly thank you that was a much better way you don't want to think it out too much yeah when you when you fine line you've got them too simple when when they're too simple and they're too easy or whatever, you wind up with things like, you know, the fan the first Fantastic Four, which you just gotta, wasn't yeah. good enough. But you then gotta, you got to go, go to Superman the, the mo- movie. Right. That's the, the one that the walked the line. Team, then you get shit like Dark Knight, which is trying to do this big artsy fartsy thing right. that just you know it's too overblown and just too plotting and whatever that's that's, that's why spider-man and superman the movie are the are, are the archetypes for that you know well, see i would put um, this movie i mean not in the same class as superman the movie but i would put this movie somewhere in the you know if if, if superman is like the perfect balance of that then this movie is somewhere a little bit below Superman in the sense that I didn't think it was a bad movie. I think it was walking that fine line and, and trying to deliver a, a comic book movie. You know, that it, it wasn't trying to be too clever, but it wasn't trying to be just insipid either. Because I, I, I you know, I think it was good in, in the comic book style, you know, in, in the Marvel comic book style, which I'm- doesn't go for that head trippy shit you know 
I'm not. I'm. 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 I'm not really saying it was. Uh, you know, I wasn't sitting through the movie going, "Oh, what a stinker!" You know, the, the, that's for sure. You know, there were parts that I was like, "Oh, that's a pretty neat, neat little scene there," but just overall, it just sort of, it just sort of hit the spots that it was supposed to. Okay, here it is, but it didn't really. It was. It. It was. It gets an S for satisfactory. <laughs> you know what I mean? It wasn't. It, it just. It just didn't. It didn't jazz me. And I guess there's what you know. What can you do? You know. Well, I mean, um, I didn't walk out of it wanting to be injected with animanium and have claws either. But at the look at it this way: if you had watched this at nine years old, would you have walked out thinking, "Wow"? And would you have been jazzed? At nine years old? Yeah. Oh well. Well, it depends. If I was a nine-year-old these days, probably pretty jazzed, but not like, you know, probably about as jazzed as when I got out of the movies to see, like, Dreamscape when I was in the 80s, you know, <laughs> which is not a great movie, but it was a fun movie, you know, and I, I saw the theaters and was like, I yeah. want to see that on the DVD when it comes out, Wolverine, a Dreamscape <laughs> for the 21st century. <laughs> Hugh Jackman is the Dennis Quaid of the of the oh new, of the 21st century. God, what a what a diss! <laughs> hey, I liked Dreamscape in a I cheesy kind of goofy Jesus way. Christ. Yeah, exactly. It was an utterly forgettable film uh, too. Uh, well, is there this we go. Forget- that's that's what I'm saying. That's that's I'm, what I'm saying. I don't think this is a forgettable. I think this one will be when when people talk about comic book movies and you see the threads pop up on the forum you know recommend me some comic book movies or you know what are your favorites or you know what are your top five or top ten i think this one's going to wind up on lists i really do i don't know that it'll wind up on my list because i i tend to remember a lot more i think than see part of the problem is you and i have history you know whereas a lot of people coming up with those threads you know they don't go back further than spider-man you know what i mean right right whereas we go back to you know Superman the movie and you know even beyond to some of the you know the TV crap that was coming out when we right. were kids huh? the TV Spider-Man and stuff like yeah. that <laughs> yeah Nicholas Hammond and Spider-Man uh, alright I'm gonna get on I'm gonna get on my, my my uber geek soapbox for a minute you know what really I mean other than the thing with the girlfriend you know what really my my only super nitpick was with was, uh, was with this movie was that all right, this is going to be so geeky, but I just have Excellent. to mention it because I really haven't heard Wouldn't it mentioned be a show that much. If you didn't, man. <laughs> All right, Cyclops does not have heat vision. He has force blasts. He has optic blasts that 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 project concussive force. And at least twice in this movie, when he used his blasts, it functioned like Superman's heat vision because there was the part where. Sabretooth knocks him you know around in that hallway at school and his glasses come off or whatever happens and he blasts out the ceiling and all well then when Sabretooth has got him on the ground and he's you know handcuffing him or whatever and the general walks up all those lockers and things that you see in the background they're all glowing they've got what did you call it the lightsaber edge or whatever you know like they've just been you know like they right, like that they, melted look yeah the melted the hot metal melted edge and that's not how his powers work. And then later on, when uh, well, granted, it's not Cyclops; it's uh, 
it's Deadpool, you know, using the the same type of power. But he's shooting that blast at Wolverine, and Wolverine's blocking it with his claws. Well, then Wolverine's claws end up getting, you know, they glow all white hot and everything. They're all, you know, supercharged with heat and all that. And it's just that I know it's nitpicky, but it just really jumped out at me because that seems to be a common misconception about Cyclops's power is that it's some sort of heat vision thing that there's heat involved. There's no heat involved with that. It's 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 a it's like being force pushed by a Jedi, I guess. You know, something like that. It's it's right. a beam of concussive energy. It has nothing to do with heat whatsoever. He can't light fires and shit with his with his powers. So, I don't know. That was <laughs> that was the thing that stood out to me the most. Uh-huh. So. That tells you I the things that, that I focus on when I watch a movie. I, you know, yes, I'm looking to see if, you know, it's well-directed and well-lit and all that kind of stuff. And I, you know, the music, which, by the way, I really like the music to this movie. I, I thought that the soundtrack was really uh, pretty good. But, you know, I'm, I'm when it comes to a geek-oriented movie, you know, something comic books or Star Wars or Star Trek or whatever... Yeah, I'm one of those people. I'm one of those people that's going to focus on, you know, are, are they getting the the stuff right? You know, are they are they following their history? And because that's just how my mind works. Well, you know, that's, I'm, I'm that's, focused that's more that's on the one details. Thing. That's one thing, but there's just the, those are details. That's continuity. That's an important part of any movie, and especially in movies that are like genre movies are usually part of a series. So continuity is even more important because you have continuity going beyond the movie that you're in but it's it's the focus on you know exactly just ra- things I can't just avoid going back to the story of the the new room on the Enterprise <laughs> that was what got their asses in that that theater <clears throat> was they were gonna get to see a new room. That was what they were jazzed about. That was what they were excited about. They weren't, you know, going to see what happened to their favorite characters. They were just going to see a new room so they could have just so- some other object that they can build a, a scale model set to and sell sell you, you know, or whatever. You know, it's like <laughs> I, I I just don't get that at the you know. That stuff is interesting and of, of interest to me to a movie, and especially like when you get to Star Wars movies, I'm going to look over every little detail and want to see every new little iteration and and such. But uh, it, it just gets ridiculous sometimes, and and I just wish I just wish the fanboys would would relax a little bit, you know, and and, <laughs> and enjoy their stuff, you know, and instead of using it as a uh, as a focal point for obsessive compulsive dis- disorder or whatever's going on, I don't know. <laughs> That's why we shouldn't do shows during the day. My brain's working differently. We're gonna get tons of email. Oh, Deadpool doesn't suck. You're full of shit. I'm just. I'm working you guys up. <laughs> my thing is, I I'm get, I will get my know? my tools out and I will mathematically prove to you that Deadpool sucks with an equation. <laughs> I mean, if you like him, that's cool. I didn't. I'm not trying to piss on anybody's parade. I'm just saying that you know, people are they're so focused on this, and he's. I mean, is he that big of a deal? It's I mean, not I'm, Wolver- It's not Deadpool the movie. It's not Wolverine versus Deadpool. It's just right. like 
Wolverine with Deadpool in it. Yeah. So, so what can you expect? You know, I guess a lot if you're a Deadpool fan. <laughs> well, I'll put it this way: rather than gives give a thumbs up or thumbs down, my my new standard is: is it better than Dark Knight? And uh, <laughs> that Wolverine, X Men Origins Wolverine infinitely better than Dark Knight so uh, go see it it's it's worth your movie dollar eh, uh, I'm I'm uh, I'll, I download the <laughs> download the 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 pirated oh don't tell people that and then and then rent it when it's a DVD and then watch the two of them for a little film school exercise at the very least <laughs> and luckily it's not a uh, boring movie so you won't be bored watching it several times and comparing the two and and getting to see how a movie is made and how you know the special effects are inserted and uh and 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 things like that i think it's a a good (laughs) exercise in in that but as as a movie meh meh satisfactory Uh, all right well with that We should probably take a little break, and then we'll come back for more comic book talk. Comics, comics, comics. Dr. Scott Gardner, podcaster par excellence, searching for a way to tap into the hidden strength that all nerds have. Then, an accidental overdose of common sense alters his body chemistry. And now, when Scott Gardner grows angry or outraged, a startling metamorphosis occurs. Fuck! $3.99. $3.99. Can you fucking believe $3.99 for this shit? For Christ's sakes, I can remember when these friggin' things were 15 The creature cents. is driven by rage and egged on by an instigative co-host. He's got a fat head. You shouldn't like him with a fat head. The creature is wanted for curse words he did not omit. Scott Gardner is believed to be a freak, and he must let the world think that he is a freak until he can find a way to control the raging fanboy that dwells within him. The Saga of the Swamp Thing Alright, we're back with uh, issue 3 of Saga the Swamp Thing by D- DC, uh, the team of Pasco and Yates, and uh, this is issue number 3, and uh, after the last issue, the um, Alec Holland and, uh, and uh, Casey have escaped Grasp and Harry Kay, and they've jumped a train, and now it's, you know, deep in the middle of the night, they're passing through Rosewood, Illinois. And their car is overrun by punk rock vampires who um, Casey sort of senses them coming ahead of time and tries to close the door, but they get in and attack them. And, uh, you know, after fighting them, the Swamp Thing figures out pretty quickly that they're vampires. And uh, so fighting them off, he ends up falling off the train with the last vampire and it sort of separates him from Casey and and the train goes goes off, and he's left to sort of make his way into town. And um, for some reason, he decides <clears throat> to 
to check out the library, so he's checking out the books in the library and notices all the books on vampirism are gone out of the supernatural section. And uh, all of a sudden he's shot with an arrow through his chest and sort of passes out. And uh, when he wakes up, he finds out he's like um, captive, quote-unquote captive, of uh, four people, uh, a mother and her son... And uh, a, a brother and his son, and the woman whose name's Hillary Downs and her son's name's Bob, they're the only survivors of the whole town that this vampire plague has hit. And uh, she called up her brother, Larry Childress, and his son, Stephen, because they were kind of ghost hunters. And so she called him up when the town was in trouble, and he came to help but by the time he got there you know the town was already overrun and they were the only two survivors and now the town's completely cut off and they can't really get out and they're sort of hunting vampires during the day and hiding out by night so uh, meanwhile um, we cut to uh, Liz Tremaine the, the reporter and her producer and they're going to the town of Pinesboro which I don't know what state it's in they don't really say what state it's in but uh, there's been a rash of killings of uh, minority children, and they're going to check it out. And uh, meanwhile, conveniently, we cut to Pinesboro, and that's where the train has stopped, and Casey's found by some some guys sleeping in the train, and she's taken to a children's uh, shelter. So uh, back in uh, Rosewood, uh, Larry and Swamp Thing go to an old rock quarry, um, to get some dynamite. And, uh, so it's sort of a test to see if Swamp Thing, because they're not really sure if, you know, they know Swamp Thing's not a vampire, but they're not really sure if he's on their side because he is, you know, you don't really run into swamp monsters every day, so you can't be sure if he's trustworthy or not. So, sort of as a test of his, his, um, reliability, Larry sends him up to go get some, uh, um, dynamite from the dynamite shack at the rock quarry and uh, meanwhile why they chose Dusk to do this I don't know but meanwhile you know Larry gets attacked by some vampires and Swamp Thing has to come and help him out and and they escape um, but they get home and Larry's son runs out and tells him Hillary and Bob are missing they never came back from vampire hunting today and uh, so Larry basically says, "Well, we, you know, we agreed. If anybody didn't come back, they're they're as good as dead and written off." And grabs the son and says, "Come on, we're going to blow up the dam and flood the town." And um, Alec Holland's kind of pissed off at this, so he goes in search of the mother and son. And uh, you know, while searching through the town, he finds the boys trussed up, like hanging from the ceiling, like a piece of meat in the video arcade. And um, as he's cutting the boy down, you know, the vampires start coming out of all the pinball machines. All the pinball machines are hollowed out, and they open up from the bottom, and the vampires come crawling out. And, of course, his mom is one of the vampires, so she's she's attacking him. And, uh, you know, Swamp, Swamp Thing fights off fights off his mom and uh, and is, you know, getting the, fighting off the vampires and getting the kid out. Meanwhile, Larry and his son... Are at, are at the dam and they blow it up but uh, Larry who has, hasn't told his son that it was a suicide mission that you know in order to blow it up they would never be able to get off it in time so they, they're swept away in the in the dam and, and uh, Swamp Thing manages to get to get um, Bob up on uh, up on the roof of the arcade 
while the you know just in time as the water comes through and uh running water of course kills vampires so you know turns them all the skeletons and so swamp thing sort of leaves the kid you know on the rooftop of the building (laughs) and is just like well i'm going off to find casey and heads down the railroad tracks and and basically leaves the kid to quote unquote rebuild the town (laughs) i like the kid had just said uh please don't leave me take me with you i don't want to be here alone he's like see ya he just thinks it he doesn't even say it out loud he just says no you're too decent and he he walks away and you can kind of hear the boom 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 and he's walking away and the poor kid well how old's this kid like Eight nine years old, he's left there all maybe alone in a eleven or twelve, town. maybe yeah. The t- the whole town's wiped out, you know. And he's like, "Well, you're here. You're you're left. You're a decent kid. You can rebuild the town. Why? Why? Your whole family's dead. They're turned <laughs> to vampires. You're traumatized. The town is underwater. He's already got one kid. He's trying to find. He doesn't want to be saddled with this kid, too. Is what it comes down to. And once again, this is a beautifully rendered comic, beautifully drawn comic. But the story's just goofy. I love the idea of punk rock vampires, but of course their their dialogue is so cheesy. Like, you know, there's somewhere between like punk rock dialogue and like evil Charles Manson hippie dialogue you know hey old <laughs> man you know now girly it's just me and you and I'm gonna get you I'm gonna get your blood and this it, was this was 82 what year did um, Salem's Lot come out oh this is this is post Salem's Lot for sure Salem's See, Lot I'm wondering if that of, might have had a little bit oh, of influence yeah. on this story somehow oh for sure I'm sure it did there, you know, I think a lot of, you know, horror movies and stuff like that had had an effect on, uh, and vampires were sort of, yeah, around Salem's Lot, vampires were sort of making a, a reoccurrence, and this sort of had the, the same sort of thing with the, you know, town regular people becoming vampire hunters, right, you know? and, uh, and yeah, and it had, you know, the classic, you know, the mother attacks her son. But it's just so, you know, I mean, okay, so Swamp Thing's coming into town. He goes to the library and starts checking all the sec- – and he's like, wow, they have a good su- big supernatural book section here, but all the vampire books are gone. You know, wh- what? Why- that's where you start your investigation is to see what books are being signed out. I mean, obviously he was right, but that's just because the writers made him right. And – uh <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> and the whole thing rem- with Liz Tremaine—they're going to you know the, where the where the the mass murder of children is. That's right where Casey happens to end up. You know. Well, I uh, yeah, yeah, I know it by by sheer coincidence. Yeah. It well, there's it's, it's there's a formula. There another, there's a there formula other, being set up here. Yeah. There was some other wild coincidence like that in one of the the other issues that we did. I, I forget what it was. Well, now they, there was a they, they they set what they're doing is each issue they sort of at the same point they set up what's going to happen in the next issue. That's what it was. You yeah, know? that's what it was. It wasn't so, a coincidence. It was the it was the little teaser for the vampire right, story. Right. It was in the same place as the teaser for the Pinesboro killer is in this one. You know. Yeah. But, yeah. I, I just I, I love the art in this. It's class. It's you know classic yeah. swamp thingy, 
and you know with vampires in an abandoned town there's all kinds of great creepiness in it and vampires getting staked and splashed with holy water and all that yeah, fun that, stuff that's what i was going to say too is that you know i remember loving this story as a kid and and really enjoying it and and sadly i don't think the story has held up well, but no. the art is still fantastic. Yeah. yeah, I really enjoy the art. But the now maybe this is me not being able to step far enough back in time away from the uh, the uh, Alan Moore version that's to come. But the scene where Swamp Thing gets impaled with the arrow and it causes him to not be able to breathe and he passes out just. Doesn't make I, does sense. That, yeah, it doesn't make convenient. any sense. Yeah, yeah it, it doesn't even even at this point where he doesn't know his true origins and all the things that were to come with the Alan Moore stuff. This still doesn't seem to be consistent with the fact that he's now a well, I think you know a walking plant. You yeah, know, he should I think need to breathe. They're, they're, right, I think they're sort of setting up that he's in a weakened state because it took a while for his hand to grow back. And uh, and plus he just got hit with um, hit with some kind of napalmy, you know, defoliant stuff. Right. So maybe he's, you know, maybe he's just kind of under the weather. So it's possible to to knock him out, or maybe since he doesn't know what his origin is, that it, since he gets an arrow through and he psychosomatic, thinks, yeah, he thinks that the arrow should ah. knock him out and knocks him out. Maybe Who I'll knows? give you a no prize for that one. Yeah. I think that's pretty good. I, I was actually kind of thinking something similar myself that maybe it was a strictly uh, psychosomatic response that it, it actually didn't hurt him at all. But it could be. I don't think it was thought through that much though when they did it. I think it was just a convenient way to get him into the grasp of the vampire hunters. You know. Well, did you notice that the big bandage that they put around him on the next page is nowhere near where the injury to him was? <laughs> yeah, it's just like, put a band- yeah, just wrap he him up. He was shot in the throat, and they've got it wrapped around like, like mid so His chest, yeah, like like Miss, Miss Swamp 1982 or something. But I really, you know what I really love? I love the, I love the, um, the um, vampires coming out of the uh, pinball machines. Oh yeah, and there is one of the most rude, rude things. Do you have your Do you have your comic there? Go to page twelve oh, yeah. and look at look at the um look at the first um pinball game you see. It's called the Purple Headed Warrior. <laughs> yeah, I did all see right. It. <laughs> <laughs> now look at that big purple helmet there, and you tell me what the Purple Headed Warrior is. <laughs> well, that's what. That's what I've always called my unit personally, the headed warrior. But you know, that's just between me and it. So this is, I mean, that's just that's just great. They got away with that was a nice get away with it in a in a mainstream comic. You know, that's something I would see in an underground comic. I love it. In Star Farce was another one of them. But yeah, I think that's a great creepy scene with with like all their clawed hands coming out of the bottom of the pinball machines. That's a great idea. And that I don't was, know if these... Oh, I'm sorry. That's probably what they base this whole thing on. They're like, let's make punk rock vampires that come out of pinball machines. 
Well, this was before the the resurgence of the of the vampire thing in the in the eighties too, because a couple of years after this would be uh, Fright Night, Lost Boys, and Fright Night. Yeah, all those vampire flicks that came along. So this actually got the jump on all that stuff. My my favorite one, my favorite moment in this that does still hold up because it's still, I don't know, it just makes me uneasy. The whole thing is creepy. Is the part where you know the 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 dad dynamites the dam, and the kid's like, "Come on, you know, let's get the hell out of here." And, and he's like, "You know," the dad's like, well, "What do you mean? You you didn't realize that this was a suicide mission?" <laughs> yeah. And the kid's like sitting there screaming at him, like, "Why? Why did you do? You know, you've killed me. Why did you do this? You didn't even talk to me about it." And then there's a great panel of the of the whole thing just giving way, and you can see their bodies toppling off the thing, and and you start you know, thinking he could have run for it if he wasn't oh, yeah. there yelling at his dad. And also, you think what a prick, man, because his dad could have just said, <laughs> "Here, hang out here. I just got to yeah, go some, stay check stay something over in the here middle, at the edge of the dam." Right. Yeah, exactly. That's what yeah. any father would do, you know, is be like, "Hang out here. I'll be right back." Oh, sorry, son. Bye. At least you get to live. No, this guy's taking his kid with him. What a fucking asshole! Well, he says Pardon right my here. Even if, we, even if we got to the truck, we couldn't outrace a flood. For God's sake, you're on the high ground, dumbass. Yeah, you exactly. Know I mean? Park the truck behind the damn doofus. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just you know the this was back in the in the day when you know the the writer actually gave you you know the some text and everything as as well as just word balloons. There's just you know, along with that creepy image of the dam giving way and their bodies falling, you know, it says down here, but both voices are drowned out as their throats fill with rushing water. And it just gives me the creeps, man. I mean, drowning's just one of those ways to go that doesn't appeal to me at no. all, you know? So, yeah, that, that, that moment has always creeped me and, and continues to. Excellent. There's also... There's also probably worth mentioning, I'm not going to review it at all, but just mention that there is also a, a backup feature in this, once again, by uh, Barr and, uh, and Dan Spiegel of The Phantom Stranger, yes, which I'll was... Do, I'll do my basic, yeah. I'll do my basic, like, Reader's Digest super version of this. Beautiful girl, ugly girl. Guy loves ugly girl. Beautiful girl is bitch. Switches him around. Ugly girl and beautiful girl body. Beautiful girl and ugly girl body. Beautiful girl becomes ugly in her soul. Ugly girl becomes beautiful in her soul. (laughs) Phantom Stranger, make both beautiful at end. The end. That's pretty much it, yeah. Yeah. That's very good. And the... uh... That guy looks like uh, one of the sweat hogs, too. (laughs) Exactly. Mr. Carter, Mr. Carter. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody switch my girlfriend. And there came a day, a day unlike any other, when Earth's mightiest heroes and heroines found themselves united against a common threat. On that day, the Avengers were born to fight the foes no single superhero could withstand. Through the years, their roster has prospered, changing many times but their glory has never been denied. Heed the call, then. For now, the Avengers Assemble! The Avengers Assemble podcast, available now at avengersassemblepodcast.libson.com The Walking Dead
Okay, this is The Walking Dead, number seven. This is the April 2004 issue, written by Robert Kirkman as usual. This time, penciled and inked by Charlie Adlard. Um, this is his first issue, stepping into the uh, very big uh, footprints left behind of uh, Tony Moore. We start this issue with a flashback, and this is flashing back to the night that... Uh, that Rick's wife and Shane were trying to get into Atlanta, and we see them, uh, this is probably I-20 going into Atlanta, they're just kind of stopped in this massive line of vehicles. Uh, well, there's a line both directions going into Atlanta and coming out of Atlanta, and they acknowledge that they can't make it in, and more than likely everybody in there is dead, you know, and and. Lori's really freaked out by the fact that, you know, all these people came here for protection. You know, they were told to come to the city and, you know, now they're all dead and they've basically given up trying to go in. They, you know, they believe that, you know, there's no way there could be survivors left in there. And Shane, you know, reaches out to comfort Lori and the next thing you know, you know, they're getting it on. Then we flash forward to the present day, and we're at Shane's gravesite. In the last issue, Shane got shot in the throat and killed by Rick's son. Your know, Rick's son was defending his father because it looked like Shane was about to shoot him in the face and kill him because he was jealous that Rick had come back, you know, into all their lives and basically, you know, reclaimed his place as, you know, Laurie's husband and and uh, had basically displaced Shane as, you know. The, almost the leader of the tribe, but you know, as as the one that everyone was looking to 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 lead them and advise them, and but more, I think it was about you know his broken heart with uh, with Lori. You know, he really felt like he was making progress with Lori, and now Rick's back in the picture. So they're all gathered around the grave. No one says anything, and then finally Rick just says, "Well, all right then." They all kind of split up and walk away, and. Rick turns back and notices that Lori hasn't walked away. She's still standing by the grave, and she spits on Shane's grave and calls him a son of a bitch. And it looks like nobody else notices this. You know, no one comments on it anyway. And they're all walking away, and, you know, Rick's upset, talking to Alan, you know, about the fact that, you know, who knew the guy could just snap like that, you know? And, uh... All right, so then we cut to later... And it uh, looks like it's getting on dusk. And Rick and the old guy that drives the RV, they you know they talk a little bit about the fact that you know the old man thinks that that Rick should basically step up and assume the leadership. He agrees with them that they need to move. They were basically staying where they were where they had been at this camp because Shane insisted it was so, and he had become kind of their you know their leader by default. You know he had been a cop, and they they all acknowledged that and looked up to him but now that he's gone and you know they're, they're looking to Rick to lead they want him to basically lead them out of there and to some sort of safety he also mentions that uh, you know as messed up as everything is tomorrow is Christmas to which Rick really goes kind of apeshit he said you know he swears the old man to secrecy you know you can't tell anybody don't say anything you know, and there's a great line, you know, I don't want to have to explain to my son that on top of all this other shit that Santa can't find him. So let's just skip Christmas this year, okay? I, I love that. You know, that's so realistic to me. You know, that's that's totally a thing 
I think a father would say, you know, that, that I, I, I can't, you know, it's hard enough with all the, you know, the thing, you know, the zombies and the end of the world and all that, but don't want to have to face the kid and tell him, you know, the sin is not, not coming this year. You know, that, that just seems like a, a really human moment in the story. Um, so Rick, you know, thinking about his son goes in to actually check on him and, uh, you know, he wakes Carl up and uh, was just telling him, <clears throat> you know, evidently, you know, he, he senses that maybe the boy is troubled by, you know, what happened with him shooting Shane and everything. And he just tells him, you know, if you ever need to talk, you know, I'm here for you and all that. It's a nice father and son moment. Then we cut to the next day, you know, the RV's all packed up, everybody's gathered around and, uh, you know, Rick's basically, you know, making sure that everybody's all set to go. Tells them to look around, make sure that, you know, they've got everything, they're not forgetting anything, and, you know, let's get the hell out of here, which is a great, you know, little Captain Kirk moment. Let's get the hell out of here. They all jump into the van, you know, they're driving down the road, and uh, cut to a nighttime scene, you know, they're clearing wrecks off the road, you know, trying to, to clear their way, when all of a sudden, some people come up on them. And Rick, you know, whirls around, pulls his gun, you know, t- you know, tells him basically stop where you are. And we see that it's, you know, three people, you know, they're, they're not zombies. They're alive. You know, the, the oldest guy or the, the big guy is saying, you know, whoa, you know, don't shoot. Uh, and so Rick, you know, makes quick friends with the guy. This is uh, Tyrese. And the people that are with him, Julie and Chris. Now, Julie is his daughter, and Chris, I believe, is uh, her boyfriend. And, you know, we get a little bit of an origin story on them, you know, where they've come from, some things that they've gone through. And, you know, Rick really, you know, kind of takes to the guy. But Lori, you know, kind of corners Rick alone afterwards and says, you know, is this such a good idea? You know, why do you always have to be so trusting to people? So... Once again, cut to the next day, you know, they continue on their way. They're driving along, you know, siphoning gas from cars along the route, you know, clearing cars out. And, you know, we just see Rick and Tyrese basically begin to bond, you know, sharing stories and, you know, basically learning a little bit about each other and things like that and where they've all come from. And they spot a, uh, you know, as... uh, they're stopped, you know, to siphon gas and such. They spot a group of what they call roamers. So Rick and Tyrese go out with a hatchet and hammer and basically take down, you know, all the zombies that are there so that they continue, you know, that the group can continue to do what they're doing and then they can all get on their way again safely. And uh, maybe they've learned at this point not to use guns all the time because guns draw the zombies, but. I forget whether the does does it actually say that in the story yep. whether they they they, they okay. actually mentioned that verbally that like if we shoot if we shoot them that might draw more of them over right yeah so they're finally they're they're getting smarter they're realizing that so uh, you know the the day progresses you know most of their work is involved with you know driving a little bit then having to stop and clear wrecks and then driving a little bit more and stopping to clear wrecks. So at one point that you know where they stop to clear things out and everything they're they're gathering up uh firewood and such and uh we see Carol start to take notice of Tyrese and you know that that maybe they're uh may, might have a little bit of a love connection thing going on 
So it gets dark, and they have a little powwow around the uh, the fire, and they're all just basically getting to know each other. And we can definitely see where uh, things are warming up with uh, with Tyrese and Carol, and uh, Glenn really isn't uh, taken well to this because he uh, he had a thing for Carol. I think whether she knew it or not, you know, he was kind of developing some feelings for her and. He sees where he's probably going to be out of the picture because he's no competition for this, you know, this big strapping new guy that's that's come along, and she's, you know, all making the googly eyes at him and everything. So they're sitting around talking and everything, and Rick, you know, in the middle of conversation, realizes that uh, Laurie has kind of gotten up and wandered away from the group, and you know, sensing that something's wrong, you know, he tells everybody, "Well, hold on, I'll be back," and he goes and walks to where she is, you know, she's a good distance away from the group and everything and, and just kind of standing on her own. And he comes up behind her and says, you know, Lori, is everything okay? And at this point, she drops the bomb on him. No, Rick, I'm pregnant. And that's where the issue is. Yeah. Yeah. Not the most action-packed issue, but wow, big, this, this big is, stuff is happening in this yeah, issue. Yeah, yep. This is uh, this is some big world building here. We get a right. uh, you know, we get introduced to some characters that uh, you know coming down the pike. You know, some big things happen to Tyrese. You know, a very important character here for for the next little bit. You know, his wife and uh, or excuse me, his uh, daughter and uh, her her boyfriend and all. And just uh, you know, the thing with uh, with Lori being pregnant is going to have some serious ramifications. You know, is is the baby going to be normal? You know, is it going to be some sort of mutant or freak, or is it going to be a zombie baby? You know, there was all kinds of speculation. Well, you know, there's what no was hospital push? to go to. Uh, yeah, all that fun yep. stuff that you're going to start thinking about with someone who's pregnant. You know. Plus, with the uh, with the the flashback we got right at the very beginning, you know, really, you know, it, it it drops that hint that you know the very strong hint that this may more than likely not be Rick's baby. This right. may very likely be Shane's baby. So yeah, or at some, least there's a possibility of it. You know, there didn't seem like there was any birth control going on with the whole uh, Shane deal. <laughs> Well, also, I got to thinking, you know, I've, I've thought ever since I, I initially read this issue, I got to thinking, you know, they're just kind of doing it right there side the road. I mean, is there nobody else around? I mean, all the cars we see in the outbound lane, what's the deal with all those cars? Are they ab- abandoned as well? Are they, you know, are they all dead and wandered off or dead in their cars? Or, you know, I, I'm just... I always kind of wondered about yeah. the rest of the scene, you know, because if you look at the background, it's just it's wall to wall vehicles as far as the eye can see. So it just makes you kind of wonder: are they are they really the the only two people? Plus, you know, she had uh, Carl's with him. Carl with her. So where's Carl? You know, is he is he asleep in one of the cars? And they're literally leaving this poor kid in the car all by himself. You know, just like a mile from yep. this major city full of you know millions zombies. of zombies you know while they're doing it in the field or you know i just always want, kind of wondered about the you know the reading between the lines in this in this whole scene here well but uh 
It's it's very interesting. I noticed one thing I noticed right off the bat is um and it's and not to spoil ahead further, but further on there's a scene in this one where um when um Rick first starts talking to Tyrese and Tyrese is telling like a story of something that happened to him before he met up with him that's almost a direct it's almost word for word and laid out the same I can't help but think that it's purposely sort of you know an echo of this scene in here you, you know what I talk in the last couple issues in the in the 50s late 50s of of this there's a scene that almost directly follows a scene in this one which I think is really mm-hmm. it's sort of it's sort of like the Star Wars um, new trilogy stuff where you would have you know you would have um, foreshadowing for, well it's not even foreshadowing it would be a whole scene that oh, the, was almost the parallels uh, parallel yeah. of this of the scene before it and and there's mm-hmm. there's a scene with Tyrese and him and then there's a scene later on in the series with him and another guy that's almost plays out exactly the same you know yep and I found that very interesting. And I don't and, and You're right. And I don't think he's the kind of writer where he didn't notice that, you know? <laughs> or where he didn't do right. that purposely. So I thought that was kinda cool. That is cool. Because you know, I, I didn't even catch it, but now that you say that, yeah, you're absolutely right. It is almost exactly a parallel scene. Almost the the, 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 the stories that they're telling each other are almost the same. It's very interesting that, to see if uh how these are gonna, how it's gonna pan out, sort of comparing this future character to the Tyrese character, if that's what he's doing. And I also have to say, for a new artist, this goes with a different style than the old artist. It goes very seamlessly from one from. You think so? I think so. I know who all the I know who all the characters are. You know, he may all the characters look pretty much the same. It's a different style. But it just, it still feels like the same story. It doesn't really, it, it didn't really make a big difference for me, when, like, when I first read this. That I actually like this art better. It's, there's some scenes that are kind of Frank Miller, you know, the scene with the, with Laurie looking at the two tombs, you know, not tombstones, but they're, you know, sticks tied together as crosses. is very Frank Miller-y. Um, but uh, yeah, I, uh, I I've gotten used to it, and I mean he's still the artist on the book today, and you know currently right. the book's at what like sixty. Yes. So you know he he's improved. I've gotten used to him and all that. So I look back at it now, and it's not jarring or anything. But I remember at the time reading this as it was coming out. You know when when it suddenly switched to this. I mean I didn't hate it or, or you know I didn't diss it or anything but yeah I thought it was Took quite the, quite to. the jar yeah I, I really did but you know looking at it in retrospect it it doesn't seem as jarring now as it did at the time no I actually prefer this guy's art I pre- Adler I prefer his mm-hmm. his art now <laughs> I, I've, I've come to really like and appreciate his style. I, I like it. It's it, it's 
it's uh, I think it's a little more impressionistic. I think or, or yeah, not as detailed. I, I, it, it lends itself a little bit more to the to the gritty realism of yeah. the world, where it's you know um, Tony Moore. You know he 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 does the beautiful art and all that. You know, and and, and his gore and all that is is really it's it's beautiful to look at. But yeah. yeah, but sometimes it's a little too the of the art atoms. You know, what I mean, it's right. a little too much on the art artsy side artsy and not enough on, side. on the gritty. I don't want to touch that side. Yeah. You know? Which is what I think. I think that's what Adler really pulls off. Is he makes not just the scary stuff scary. He makes the whole world icky. Yeah, you know, everything looks like it's dirty and kind of slimy and needs a needs a good scrubbing. It you know, sh- it sure does I, at that point too. You know. Yeah, exactly. You know, these are people that haven't you know, had access to soap and water for months or weeks or whatever now and, and that's the feel I get when I look at this is that, you know, this is this is a world I wouldn't want to be able to step right into this page because it's gross. Yeah, you can almost and I don't know you that can I always... smell the smell and hear the flies buzzing. Right. And I don't know that I always got that with with more stuff. More stuff like I say, you know, the the, the zombies and the gore were stuff you didn't want to touch, but the rest of the world, I don't know. You know, it, it, it looks, you know, post-apocalyptic without looking especially nasty to touch. Yeah. I don't know if I'm making sense, but that, that's just the feeling I get between the two art styles. I mean, I, I love them both, and it's hard to say which one I prefer. I just think that this one really lends itself more to the entire world they're living in. Instead of just making the the, the the zombie gore moments especially right. beautiful too, so that's that's where I'm at for this issue. But yeah, I like this one, and I oh, like yeah, where we're is, going from. Yeah, this is a big issue, and it's leading into yeah. To this is where the story really starts to take off, and and things really develop you know he's now he's gotten his whole crew assembled I, I think Tyrese was really the last major major player that needed to get introduced before you have this you know large crew that becomes pretty much the story for a good while for a good amount of time on this mm-hmm. this comic and yep. Ty- and Tyrese is turns you know he's he's one of my favorite characters in the in the whole book so and mm-hmm. uh, and uh, it's it's funny because you know see you know rereading him first introduced he's you know such a different character you know he's the same person but he's he's different he's not a you know you see him get you see him go through just like Rick you see him going through hell and the effects that it has on him and how it changes him. So absolutely, it's, it's it's great reading it over again and seeing the characters when they're a little more fresh. <laughs> <laughs> it makes it it actually makes it all the more creepy because you know, you know what's 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 going to happen. Absolutely. Well, is that all we got for this this I, go around? I think I think it is. It was a fun filled, cram packed show. 
Absolutely. Well, hey, I just want to throw it out there to our listeners. Uh, if you like what you're hearing, you enjoy our show, you know, tell a friend, tell two friends, you know, post it up, you know, post up a flyer or something at your uh, local comic shop. Hit us up if you need us to send you a flyer, that sort of thing. Uh, we just like to try to grow the listenership a little bit and uh, get the word out there a little bit more about the show. So uh, let us know what you think and uh, see what you can do for uh, spreading the word. Yeah, what and have that's you done it for, this for us time. lately? Oh, that's not at all what I meant. <laughs> I'm not putting words in your mouth. I'm just saying, I'm speaking for myself. What have you guys done for me lately? Except for oh. Biblio Mike. Biblio Mike's he's good, man. He sent me, he sent you one too, so I just want to give him a shout out before we go. Um, not just, he didn't just send us a book, but he sent us a book that he wrote a story in. So yep. that's really cool. We've got some actual art that somebody created and that's like really awesome you know you can send me all the comic books you want that's i'll love them and i'll love you for it but like something that you made yourself that's just extra special awesomeness Mm -hmm. and we will be talking about that in uh in the upcoming uh the next star uh star trek monthly monday i'm gonna review mike's uh review mike's story and we'll talk about it maybe i'll get get it read too and we can yeah rake him through the coals Ooh, yeah <laughs> visit our website at two true freaks.libson.com where you can download all of our episodes and find our forum to openly and freely Discuss topics from this and all other episodes with us and your fellow listeners. TwoTrueFreaks.Libson.com is spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S dot Libson, which is L-I-B-S-Y-N dot com. You can email us directly at TwoTrueFreaks at gmail.com. And thanks for listening to the Two True Freaks podcast. The Two True Freaks now have a phone line where you can call and leave a completely inappropriate message. Maybe we'll even use it on the show. That number is 1-585-COP-LURE. That's 1-585-267-5873. If you enjoyed this show, why not review us in iTunes? And if you didn't enjoy this show, why not review us in iTunes? Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com slash league. Tutor Freaks has been brought to you today by DiManzo Core of Milan, Italy, and by the letters F and U.